And now, now the ceremonies have been completed. We can begin the, uh, the recording. Yes, the ritual is complete. Yes, we've we've looked outside. Uh, white birds have flown past the window, so we are cl- clear oh, to show. Some weird spots on this yeah. liver that I'm looking at. Yeah, I was going to say we're going through some entrails, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. it's it pr- promotes an auspicious podcast. Indeed. Uh, if if you couldn't tell that, um, all of this talk of of auguries and lictors. Mm. And um, oh, I've been looking at this goat intestine. It says there's too many <laughs> fucking ghouls over here. <laughs> uh, we have returned to having a friend of the show. I think probably it's pointless to keep counting his guest appearances uh, because they have now numbered in the many. So we have to use the numerals. So it'd be like C X L I. In terms of like um, what mm. humans can, in- what the kind of counting that humans can intuit without needing to think of numbers abstractly, one, two, three, many, we are yeah. now in the many area. Yeah, you'd have to use the genitive plural in yeah, Latin. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. It is our friend and yours, Patrick Wyman. Patrick, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I mean, I feel like the only way I could be more a part of Trash Future is if you buried me under the floor of that podcast studio. At this point, just like, just like, a, like you know, things are going really poorly. Um, you got to find a Greek, you got to find me, and you got to find a Gaul and just bury us all under the floor there. Well, like Fred and Rose West. Us wheeling the Tarpeian rock into the studio. Yeah. Just like, oh, don't worry about this. It's for a thing at the end. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, the difficulty is that we're now on the third floor of a building, so we wouldn't so much be burying you underneath the studio as getting you a job in whatever office is underneath <laughs> us. Yeah. Well, this is what they did to the Gauls and the Greeks when they yeah. did that. Yeah, I mean, is there a fu- is there an actual functional difference there? It feels like that being being buried in an office building or being buried under the under the rocks of the Forum, same difference. Mm. You, you could say that both have both the the giant glass skyscraper in the Roman Forum have taken on a sort of similar kind of sort of social, political, ideological significance. Yeah, yeah. the uh, the office underneath us is a lot like that little like uh, car there under the under the floor of the Roman Senate where they had people strangled sometimes. Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's adult a, baby strangulation interestingly, services. It's um. It's 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 run by a bunch of people who work for Human Rights Watch. I guess they're really into strangling nuns. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, we're um. Yeah, most of the TF enemies are all nuns for some reason. <laughs> well, no, our enemies are the our, our enemies are all of the ostensible human rights organizations with long histories of supporting the Contras. Yeah, um, the foundation for the defense of democracies or whatever. I thought our enemies were just the Durham guys. Okay, maybe not Human Rights also Watch, true. but yeah, the, the stuff like the foundation for the defense of democracies. Like, we don't know who our enemies are. It's more of a vibe, but like we figure it out as we go. This is the trash future genius. Anyway. Um, Patrick, it is always a, a real pleasure to be to have you back on to discuss some interesting element of the the hist- of, of the story of how we got to where we are today. And to you and I have sort of been discussing this for a few days. Um, that there is this there is this emerging radicalism in the upper middle class of America in the UK. That is, I think, a historical phenomenon. It is relatively new. And what's odd is that it is radicalism towards the center. And this is a concept I'm very excited to explore with all of us once we talk about this startup. 
Hmm. Keshram Kenseo Softbank Delenda Est. Quotusque tandem Softbank Patientiam. So, the startup, and I'm going to give Patrick the first guess on this one. It's called Hugh, this is H U dot. Okay. I'm sure you can guess what's coming next. Janus. It's uh, M A N. No, it's not. Oh. No, uh, it does Hugh, not have two faces. Hugh dot man. It okay. just sends you a man named Hugh. Yeah, Hugh dot Grant. Well, if you, yeah. I guess you could say it's sort of a, a Janus faced concept, but we'll get to oh. that in a moment. So, uh, Hugh dot man dot AI. Patrick, what do you think that is? Grocery deliveries? <laughs> That's very, very consistent with. Um, um, what we usually okay. would talk I've, about. I've, I've got one. I've got one. .hu is the top level domain for Hungary. So it sends you a Hungarian man. Yeah. What does he do? Uh, I don't know. He's just, it just he, does some AI stuff for you. It's, he it's checks for people it's of certain ethnicities in your house. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so just far. sends you Sebastian Gorka. I would say Alice <laughs> is so far the closest conceptually. For years I've been asking you to join me, but now you can ask me to join you! <laughs> I, okay, I need, I need one second here. So uh. <laughs> you're telling me that Alice is closer with the guess of a startup that sends you a Hungarian man than I was with grocery <laughs> deliveries? Yeah. Yes. You know, really, really in many ways the Roman Empire, also a startup that sends you a Hungarian man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, that was like sending you a Hungarian man, uh, or, or at least one from Pannonia like it doesn't have to be Hungarian. We'll accept anybody from beyond the Limes. That is, that's a Dacian. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Just like kicking the tires and being uh, like, yeah, "Yeah, I think this one's got some Dacian in it." Uh, yeah. Sir, I specified a Thracian. Yeah. Uh, I did not want a Dacian. That's you can uh, kick the tires of a Dacia to this day. <laughs> so, um, um, so, so, okay. Every day I carry a Gladius and a net. So, because I'm always prepared. <laughs> so, uh, wait, isn't that a Thracian? Uh, no, well, actually, that would be because uh, the, the people who carried the net were the Retarius. Yeah. 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 So they had, yeah. they had a net and yeah. a trident. So yes, Gladius yes, yes. and a net you're would think, be you're anachronistic. You're thinking of the Threx, yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyway. just a dude with the Gladius. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Tides of History. <laughs> yeah, well, well, welcome to uh, all of us spent too much time studying this stuff. Hell yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, no, so mm. um, hum- the reason I say Alice is close is that Sending you a guy to do some AI stuff is only wrong in as much as it's not a guy. Sending you a robot to do some uh, AI stuff. Uh, essentially, yes. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to read the paragraph from the blog post okay. describing their mission, the first one. Mm-hmm. 80% of our memories are forgotten. Well, that doesn't even make any fucking sense. <laughs> Human memory is being taxed more and more, and as a result, our cognition, the ability to process, synthesize, being taxed by the Democrats. and make use of the memories <laughs> that are created by us, always catching up with the past, instead of going beyond the present to prospect the future. Our experiences are encoded in people, facts, thoughts, and emotions, all of which influence the actions we take, the decisions we make, and the behavior we exhibit every day. Yet for all the influence on our decisions and behavior, 80% of what happens to us is forgotten, and even less is recalled. So going Why? back to Patrick... What do you think this thing does? Human AI. It's really sounding like a diary. Yeah, I, I if I had to guess, uh-huh. I would say that it, it like scans your Gmail and like compiles a list of your receipts and shit that like makes you that, so it gives you like a, a blow by blow account of your life as lived online. I have no idea. Yes, that's I, it. That's is, right. That's correct. What? Oh, it's like the like the algorithmically generated Facebook memories videos. Yes, but uh, oh, filtered yes. through Charlie Brooker. 
basically. Why are these? Why do all these companies go out of their way to sound so ominous? For years, humans have been dependent <laughs> on memory, <laughs> which makes them weak. <laughs> the sweet, teat milk of nostalgia will lead you to your doom. Embrace the mists of forgetfulness. Are you fucking with me? That's actually what it does. Uh, so what the what it is basically right is it's the idea. A Hungarian of, man makes you a scrapbook. <laughs> they have said that. Um, like most of our time is spent imperfectly recalling things or searching yeah. for things that we might have known. For example, you'd search for like someone's birthday. So what they've mm-hmm. done is they've said, we have created an AI that acts as a supplement to your memory and can like help you write things. It can remember stuff that you've forgotten. Huh. And it essentially is, is it, but the way that you interact with it is by just like constantly talking into it all the time or uh, constantly oh. texting would it you, all the like time. Would you like to have Clippy in your ear like Otacon? Yeah, it's what if, what if Clippy was kind of customized to you? Mm. Well, like this isn't as insane as I thought because politicians have these, right? They have the like files of everyone they've ever met so that like when they meet them again 15 years later, they, they can, can be like, I never met this person like- for legal reasons. <laughs> yeah, for legal reasons. <laughs> no, they can be like, how, how are your like children whose names I remember? I am making a real connection with you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Fine, yeah, but like, how is this a tech company? Wait, isn't so- this just basically what Richard Nixon did? Just record every conversation he yeah. ever has. It's like, I don't see how this <laughs> could incriminate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's basically it puts Barbara Bush right in your pocket. That's the <laughs> that's like the because wasn't she famous for keeping like a, an elaborate file system? Oh yeah, like on... America's seventeenth intelligence agency. Yeah, it, but it was just Barbara Bush with index cards, so, and so <laughs> that's what this is offering to do for you is to put a, an elegant white haired wasp in your uh, so, like right in your pocket. So what it says is your AI listens to you as you go about your day. Gradually oh. absorbing events, thoughts, and to-dos that will become relevant later on. But it's not a simple memorize and regurgitate later system. The longer you use your AI, the more it learns about you. Over time, becoming better and quicker at servicing and even predicting your needs and thoughts. Eventually, replacing you altogether. Well, no, of course. <laughs> of course, it won't do that because they, you know. Well, the, the reason, real reason it won't do that is that, like, you can't it's make an AI technologically. That will do that. Yeah. 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 No, it's not tech. They, they want to heavily. But you can imply. pay a Hungarian man to do that. <laughs> Why is Riley I just, speaking fucked up English and saying anti-Semitic <laughs> stuff all the time? I just, I, I, I worry about the possibility that it's going to learn about you like an AI does, mm-hmm. which is going to mean it's going to learn about you the same way, say, Amazon does, where it's like you just bought a TV. It seems like you should buy three more TVs. And so, like, you'll meet somebody or something, and you want to remember it, and you'll tell it to this fucking AI, and it's like, oh, yes, you're gonna fucking meet them every day for the rest of your life. Wait, I'm, I'm just gonna learn this now. This is gonna destroy the world. Like, you know that theory about the AI, if you just tell it to make paperclips, and it will just keep making yeah, paperclips, yeah, yeah. so it destroys the planet. Like, Alice gets this Rocco's AI, and it Hungarian keeps... Hungarian basilisk. Yeah, and it keeps, it keeps ordering gas masks until it destroys the planet. <laughs> so, I, again, how would that be different from what I actually <laughs> do already so um the the his uh, his justification the guy behind it his justification for building this said quote i suffer from imposter syndrome okay <laughs> because so I-, I am an ai in a man's body <laughs> um a large extent of that feeling comes from my original thoughts unwritten uncaptured or at best scattered around different forms of storage 
These lost thoughts go unexpressed, unvoiced, or unable to be recalled. It creates anxiety of what may have been forgotten. I, I want- hate that this is a startup whose only like growth industry is pointing a gun back and forth on a rain-slicked rooftop between two identical versions of someone else. Research done invoice per do. I want an extension of me, an extension of my human capacity to store the memories that is personal and valuable to me, an extension that helps me recall in my own authentic voice that is secure and private. Just get a fucking notebook! Yeah. Mm. Come on. Get a diary! Some of them even come with like little locks on them if you want to keep your like uh, middle school secrets safe. <laughs> Damn, Jeffrey Epstein should have had a lock on that book. Um, <laughs> right? Thought of Impregnable. That. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I keep coming back to the Hungarian man thing because I feel like it hmm. would be just much more effective to hire the services of a Hungarian man to follow you around and do this. Like, isn't the do Hungarian that. man theory of history? stands athwart history. What if a Swedish man were Hungarian? Yeah, so. yeah, he, st- he stands athwart history taking notes. That's that's hmm. what we want. It's like, uh, I... I oh. God, I, mm. now I'm just going to have a Hungarian man service stuck in my mm. head for... <laughs> <laughs> blessed, blessed are the Hungarians, nature's note takers. Fuck this podcast shit, we're all going into the Hungarian man business. Yeah, well, I'm, they are emphasizing fertility, That's uh, so there should be a lot of them, is what I'm saying. The, the six million <laughs> Florent man. So uh, they, have, they have a blog post called uh, Freedom <laughs> of Speech, which I think is cool. Cool. Um, they, and this, so Patrick, this is relevant to you. At our core, we live by the principle of creating a world where all humans have a voice and that voice has a place in history. The voice of history going forward should not just be the domain only of the famous and infamous. So uh, I Patrick, am once again asking you to stop calling people humans. It sounds weird. <laughs> Patrick, given that they've just invented social history, uh, are you excited that you have a job now? Fuck. <laughs> uh, this is just like... I, I love this, that it just, everything that's even vaguely tech adjacent just keeps coming back to the whole, like, the Silicon Valley people invent the bus over and over again. And they're just like, they've invented a notebook. They've invented a journal. It's like, they we're just, we're just reinventing this basic thing, like Elon Musk reinventing the fucking tunnel. That's what, that's where we're at now. These people are just like reinventing the concept of remembering things with memory aids. Like, I love that we now have an app for that. So it can just be the 17,000 thing cluttering up my phone that I don't use and feel bad about its existence. Yeah, but also, and crucially, it spies on you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, there's also, there's also that. <laughs> this is a great time to introduce my new startup, uh, Tarpe.an. Have you ever wanted to throw someone off of a rock? <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be so many fucking jokes in this that you need a, like, a level <laughs> of yeah. esoteric knowledge to get them. Just like... <laughs> That's right. It's, it's gonna be. You can just tell it's gonna be one of those episodes that we love making, yeah. and we have an amazing time. Then three people in the audience are absolutely yeah. losing their shit, and everyone else is like, "What?" These days, people have less and less time to jack off in a barrel. That's why a diogen.es. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Come on. So the la- last paragraph from this is that they've said like 
th- what they're calling th- this instead of a diary is they're calling it an intranet of thoughts. Oh no! <laughs> Broke the internet of things. Woke <laughs> the intranet of thoughts. Not even an internet, but an intranet, a yeah. word which everyone yeah. has very positive associations. Yeah, with. this yeah. is like the North Korean version of thinking. A, a decentralized human knowledge store created by technological versions of an individual's memory. A decentralized human knowledge system is just called brains. Yeah. Well, well, you can write stuff down that happened to you if you want to remember it and convey that to people in the future. Yeah, because that's all. That's all. You don't even have to use words. You can use like fucking knotted string. It still works. You don't have to do this shit. (laughs) I mean, I just want to like go to this guy with some wet clay tablets and a stylus and be like, "Look here." You, you can do cuneiform. It would it would be easier and more efficient mm. than whatever the fuck this is. Well, interestingly, right? Cuneiform that would persist into history. People would that would actually like. Oh, are we going to talk about how almost all digital storage is absolutely ephemeral? Uh, absolutely yeah. ephemeral. This mm. will this will either be gone, or in the event that it doesn't get deleted at some point, it will just like fade off of the storage disk it's at a time so when everyone funny. here is still alive. It's so yeah. funny, right, that, like, do you remember a time, and it wasn't that long ago, when boomers were like, you've got to be really careful with what you put on the internet, because that stuff just stays around forever. And now, every archivist I know is like, yeah, no, it turns out we just threw all of this stuff into a hole, basically. And it's just it's gone now. I mean, I feel like that's actually the way it's been for practically all of human history, though, and digital is no different. That just, mm-hmm. like, everything we do we throw away anyway like nobody keeps their fucking grocery list roman or... boomer being like you want to be really careful what you put in one of those cursed tablets <laughs> exactly. like, 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 like you br- please remember to scrape the wax out of your wax tablet because otherwise somebody's going to make a palimpsest and it's going to be weird when they've got like your grocery list overlaid with like your grammatical exercises and uh that time you asked the prostitute to do that thing mm-hmm. yeah otherwise patrick wyman's going to study you later <laughs> yeah, that's the last thing anybody wants. Look, I'm not trying to get this guy fired from the Senate. What I'm saying is, he wrote some pretty suspect stuff in some <laughs> voting graffiti. Just hold it, holding yeah. up a slate that you've a graffitied on. Wall. <laughs> right, that's no. like, yeah, that's like this. You. So uh, he used a word to refer to Thracians, which I think belies <laughs> his politics. So, um, if I think that gives us a, a nice little sort of opportunity to go into our our second topic. Yeah, um, Ketterum Kenseo Softbank Delenda asked, no, uh, right. <laughs> which is essentially uh, the idea of the um, let's say this the uh, the li- uh, Patrick the the lictors and uh, kensors have become politicized. What's going on? Yes. Mm. So I'm I'm really interested by this because it's it's basically an extended meditation on the problems are very bad but their causes are very good meme mm-hmm. like so I think that this is that at, at its core Bidenism which I actually think is a kind of a coherent ideological thing is uh, the product of a very specific kind of upper middle class sensibility um, that thinks that the material manifestations of the world that we live in are pretty much fine, but more female drone pilots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, Indeed. Like, so and, they're and, smaller. It would be easier to fit them into the drone. It makes sense. It's it's true. Yeah, there's there are practical considerations in addition to kind of ideological. Wait, if you ones. fit them into the drone, it's not a drone. 
Yeah, so you said that's that just the plane. <laughs> that sounds ableist to me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, shit. It, it also occurs to me very amusingly that Biden is probably the first ever US president to have an ideology named after him that he himself doesn't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to the extent that Joe Biden is like just reflective of kind of the median dem that anybody listens to, mm. uh, like, the 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 median dem that anybody listens to at this point is overwhelmingly an up a, a comfortable upper middle class suburbanite mm-hmm. like that that i think you have to see that as the kind of ideological and um organizational core of the democratic party mm. and to the extent that there is a kind of a coherent idea of bidenism it's offended by the aesthetics of the trump era thinks that things can be better, but the basic structure of society is pretty much fine because it's produced this class, this upper middle class of people who see themselves as kind of the moral core of the nation mm-hmm. um, and acting in opposition to what the the moral core of Trumpism, which was basically local gentry and the, and the petty bourgeois. Indeed. And I think just so, because I think this can be brought over to the UK as well with what might be called Starmerism, which I think has emerged in sort of roughly similar mm. conditions, which has a slightly different politics to Bidenism. I think it's actually to the right of Bidenism generally. Um, <laughs> Somehow Starmerism is even more confused than Bidenism. <laughs> and also because, and that's partly because Starmerism's appeal is supposed to be to an, um, is supposed to trying to triangulate between that, um, that professional that you discuss, uh, uh, Patrick, who is sort of the moral, who is the moral core of Bidenism, and also the imagined lost red wall voter, but who's the the desires of whom are mediated entirely by uh, the right wing gutter press. I think yeah. that yeah, might explain it, 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 white van baz, but like yeah. as filtered yeah. through white van baz whisperer. And, and Starmer it, also has a problem that Biden doesn't have, which is that Starmer is also trying to incorporate the support of Jabba Al Guardian column in terms of like purging <laughs> trans people from the face of the earth. Indeed. Oh, we'll get to so that. The, the I put is, a bit in about this. So this is why the, uh, the, the comparison is not complete one to one between Starmerism and Bidenism, if only because I think Starmerism has <laughs> Biden can yeah, win, well, but also because. <laughs> Starmerism as an ideology has a more vexed uh, relationship with its voters and a slightly different material basis, but they're similar enough, I think, that we can proceed along the conversation generally about not just the politicization of the upper middle class, but the radicalization towards centrism, Mm. which I think has to be understood as small c conservatism. Yeah. Um, And it's one that's important to talk about because it was the politicized upper middle class that beat back the challenges from the left in terms of both Bernie and Corbyn. It was the politicized upper middle class that also beat Trump. Eight out of 10 of the wealthiest counties in America voted Dem. Mm. And it was the political politicized upper middle, primarily coastal and city class that in fact beat Trump. What we mm. often call the PMC, which was analyzed by the Ehrenreichs um, in their essay, Radical America, their essay in Radical America. But where what they have not analyzed is the, the sort of fracture within the upper middle class, whatever you want to call it, between mm. regional gentry and urban PMC, often sort of finance adjacent mm. um, uh, yeah, upper middle d- class different, people. Different kinds of radicalization, because yeah. that radicalization is not just at the center. And like the reason why we've seen the, the guys storming the capital, half of them being like boat dealership owners or like retired field grade air force officers or things of that nature mm. is, you know, that's, that's also PMC and that's also radicalization. Mm. Yeah. 
And it's, it, it, it was their votes. It was those white suburban votes that, in fact, put Trump in the White House in the first place. Yeah. Whereas previously in Britain, these people were very distracted with important scientific questions like, what if you gave dogs girls' names and women dogs' names? <laughs> what right. if you did that? Um, and so I think the, the, the question, there are many questions here, right? There is the material, there is the history of the PMC in general, mm. which is as kind of a mediating class between the uh, between capital and labor that sort of go, works to reproduce those relationships. This is everyone from teachers to social workers to professors, lawyers, um, all of the all of the people that keep that ideological machine going. <laughs> yep. Um, and then that that what we're saying essentially is like what what I've been talking about really is that there is this idea of the national or global coordinating PMC. These are mm -hmm. the you know, lawyers and, and professors that live in cities and financial centers that work with globalized capital. Yeah. And there is the regional PMC, which are, again, sort of these manager roles that work for industrial or extractive capital. And the, they have undergone this tremendous fracture, depending tremendous. on when you want to start the, um, the count. I'd say that you could even say 1980, 1990s, as you see this like revanchist right-wingism um, sort of emerge and, and take hold uh, in both you know, the UK and the US in a different way than it had been before. So that's my view of the history. Patrick, I want to know what your, what your view is. Yeah, so I, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you can see this playing out generationally. Like I have a type of guy theory here, which is that oh, the, children of, the children of the latter type that you mm. just described, the children of kind of the regional or extractive or proper or, or also where that overlaps into the propertied um, PMC or like or kind of the property gentry. The children of those people are barstool guys like barstool sports guys. Mm. Um, they're they're people who are kind of generally aggrieved at the state of the world and don't ever want to think too hard about themselves, but also take for granted that they should be listened to and feel important and resent any sort of um, intrusion on that world. So there. So if that's if those are the children of these people, the the parents are the ones who are hardcore Trumpists or who have some strong opinions about like what happened at the Capitol. And those people stand in contrast to the well-heeled fifty-something upper middle-class suburban lawyer who is just mm -hmm. who is so happy to have an adult back in the White House. <laughs> Like, well, that's I funny think, because some of those capital guys were upper middle class, well heeled, uh, white fifty something lawyers. Yeah, I. So, as I try to understand this, I I think that like the basic divide there is: do you consider yourself an owner or not? Like, to what extent is ownership central to your identity? And the more central ownership is, the more likely you are to fall on the right side of that spectrum. The more you see yourself as a meritocratic salaried elite, the more likely you are to be on kind of the radical center side of that. Does that, yeah. I don't know, do, does that track? Yeah, I, th I think there's another dimension as well, which is, which is regional. Um, mm. And I think, cause I think one of the things I've been, I've been thinking of quite a bit more recently is understanding the politics of our present moment as a fracture in the interests of finance capital, which plays this coordinating, connecting, planning role and and is and is concentrated in small in small cities along coasts and so on, mm -hmm. where yeah, like um, Walton on the Nice, which is essentially <laughs> a, a in which requires things like um, manners, for example, to keep it going. Yeah, These things cocaine. that are reproduced, um, and, and and it requires uh, for, it requires 
uh, good, eno- good enough manners and a lack of xenophobia so that my lawyer can call your lawyer in Japan and we can get this, this work done. Mm. It requ- and this it, 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 <laughs> two lawyers yeah. calling each other and just calling each other slurs like, that's right. <laughs> on like a billion dollar deal, and that's just a back and forth. Like, uh, you can't see this, but I've taped my eyes back. I hope that's okay. <laughs> so, and the, but the, the thing is, these aren't considered forms of fundamental justice; they're considered manners. And then the regional, the, that regional class, they define themselves in opposition to the fu- the financial capitalist, essentially. And so, whatever the financial capitalist does is you know bad and degenerated and and so on and so on and the one of the reasons i sort of look at this in the 1990s and 1980s is that this is kind of when in the west the interests of financial capital as planning um planning coordinating you know financing and so on diverged from industrial capital because they be realized they could uh, gain more returns by financing industrial capital elsewhere and so those interests diverged and i think it's interesting to note that like the intractable culture wars we all seem to be caught in that gave rise to Trumpism and stuff, mm-hmm. those started in the 1990s. And it was only after that revolt of the, of the regional elites, the, the regional gentry, the local gentry, as we talked about before, that the pain and gain the handmaidens of the financial capital, so the, the radical center, as you might call them, Developed a very, very paranoid style all at once as they became, mm. as you got so, Russiagate, as you got people who became quite, you might say, um, radicalized by the experience that they were not, that, that the order that they had come to expect um, had been up overturned. Well, this so, is something. So, just, just to summarize here, what you're suggesting is that all of those memes about, like, oh, these guys storming the capital, they have economic anxiety. That's, that's true, but it's in the sense of, Anxiety uh, of a conflict between two forms of capital elites. Yes, mm. that's what I'm saying. Well, this also the, the, the sort of the Davos guys versus the boat dealership. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Alien versus predator. Yeah. Um, this sort of ties in with something I was thinking about the other day, just because, as, as we know, I, I really, I really boiled the piss of some centrists <laughs> online last week, and uh, there were a number of people in my replies I could only describe as like tinfoil hat centrists who were like, they were so radicalized to centrism that like any departure from that belief system implied that you were some kind of Russian op. And so like me just like leveling a critique of the things that they think, they were like, well, this guy has been to Russia. So he's clearly in the pay of the Russian government. It's like, you sound like a QAnon guy right now. Like, (laughs) and that's the guy, that's the guy that we're typifying today. Yeah, indeed. So, I mean, um, so that, that's my, but that's my sort of relations of production uh, Rudolf Hilferding analysis. Um, Patrick, I want to know, how does that chime with what, with what you've been thinking about? Aren't you all proud of us for not saying anything about that name? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, think if, I think if we need to get it out of our systems, we should do it now. Uh, <laughs> this MF Hilferding. I want you to play with my Hilferding. Oh, God. I can't believe that's a real name. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I, I think I, I don't disagree with any of that. I think... Um, for I, I want to focus on the aesthetics for a moment because I think that that matters a lot. That mm. there's a basic kind of offense taken at the idea that that we could be reduced to this, mm-hmm. um, mm. and that it's kind of outright irresponsible and icky. Um, that they have kind of that 
I think there's a real kind of moral aspect to this, a real kind of like a moral revulsion mm-hmm. um, that or what they understand is a moral revulsion. That's actually kind of an aesthetic one that like mm-hmm. thinking Donald Trump was really gross, which like, yeah, of course he's gross, but he's gross in the way that a lot of Americans are gross, you know, like, mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of basic sense that like you look at these people and it's not right. It's just not okay. They're children. They're, they're like they, there's this sense of infantilizing and recoiling from, from their opposition. And like, mm-hmm. it's not that there's no sense of revulsion on the other side either. It's not that they're mm-hmm. kind of, that they're immune to that, but I think they have a very specific brand of it that, um, mm-hmm. that permeates everything. So that it's this, um, how dare you sir thing yeah it's how dare you sir um donald trump is obviously some kind of um the 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 need to pathologize Mm -hmm. what donald trump is um the sense that like he's icky and gross and like well he must be controlled by somebody else like the idea that he could just be a purely homegrown piece of shit Mm -hmm. is kind Mm -hmm. of hard to is kind of hard to grasp but like that too is an america that exists and Mm -hmm. i think it's um tied into the physical and professional isolation of the of this upper middle class group that like they're never going to interact with people who are kind of outside this bubble because they exist in a world that caters to them right that like they're the world is full of apps and gadgets to make their life a little bit like easier and more interesting and to get oh yeah i'll spend a hungry guy who manages their diary Exactly. That there's there's an app to get somebody to come over and put shelves in for them like that, mm. you know, so they live in a world that kind of caters to them. And the idea that there are things that are outside that or that are um, counter to that or that actively reject some of the things that they have internalized and hold dear, I think mm. is very difficult. And, and indeed, this this same argument, in fact, is mobilized as an ideological cudgel against the left as well, mm. because there is. Because against against the right, it is this this could not possibly be real. Essentially, where RussiaGate or in uh, is, is sort of like putting your ha- your um ears your hands over your ears or and, and saying this isn't happening. Similar thing, I think, with a lot of the uh, you know procedural tricks that were used to sort of delay or slow down Brexit. Or in fact, remembering that the Brexit that we have is especially sort of thin, difficult, cruel, and all this and mm. non-functional. In fact. Because this same kind of sort of moralism, uh, this this upper middle class moralism, was unable to say we're going to was unable to 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 to, to command that popular support of a say soft Brexit that kept us in the customs union because the very idea that this was happening was inimical to the to their idea of mm. what they how they perceived themselves and this sort of moral connection and that in mm. a way say it's used as a cudgel to beat the left as well ideologically. It's that acknowledging all of those problems, say, with meritocracy or whatever, acknowledging these things that exist outside of liberalism as political possibilities, acknowledging that things might not just might need to be made better through, say, transformational change, that many of the previous changes that you liked were not so great, mm. then uh, much of that sort of, uh, again, quite paranoid style uh, returns, you know, and you. Yeah, but Riley, yeah. on the other hand, have you considered that Orange Man bad? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is that, like, in that respect, the aesthetics thing is very insightful because it was like there's a dang Cheeto in the White House, and what we want is like a kettle <laughs> chip, like a fancier kind of the same thing. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the things that fascinates me about the whole deal is that like 
it's very hard for them to accept the idea that the system that produced them and made them like people who matter, like people whose mm-hmm. needs and whims are catered to and um, who feel like they have some sort of positive role to play within society. The idea that they might have got, that the systems that put them where they are might somehow be bad or might have negative consequences. Very hard to wrap their heads around in the same way that like, it's just that their response to that is kind of moralistic and aesthetic rather than I would say like if you challenge the local gentry's place in the world, well, they've got, they've got guns, you know, Mm. or like if, if you try to strike at the local McDonald's owners um, restaurant, he's going to be, he's going to react violently to the suggestion that all is not as it should be in the world. Whereas (laughs) he's a very aggressive clown. I've tried to talk to him about (laughs) it. He gets very mad. There's a man (laughs) called the hamburger. He's always trying to steal his hamburgers. Ronald, very upset, very upset about that. Yeah, like that dude, like that dude is going to respond in a much different way that like or is going to sublimate his rage at, at kind of status anxiety in a much different way than this kind of um, like more radical centrist upper middle class like mm. that for them. It's just not it's it's not thinkable. It's not possible. Whereas the the local gentry is like, we've, well, if you come from my restaurant, I'll put a bullet in you. <laughs> yeah, because in a way, kind of. Sorry, I was going to say, is in a way the right, the right are sort of easier to understand for me in the sense that like the right have things that they think and they believe those things and they understand that those things are oppositional to the things that you think. Whereas the center like to think that they don't disagree with anyone Mm. and that simply they are aware of better ways of doing things. So when you talk about like raising the minimum wage, the right wing people are like, no, fuck you. You don't deserve $15 now. Whereas the centrists are like, We'd love to do that. But if we did that, then the line would be sad. Mm-hmm. And so we, unfortunately, the rules of the universe are such that we can't do it. And it's like, just admit that you don't want to do it. <laughs> well, well, because this is the thing, right? Well, it, to my mind, both sides have kind of retreated into the unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And that's like the, the crux of this episode for me. What we're talking about is how did everybody get so fucking weird, right? How did you get QAnon? How did you get, at the same time, mm-hmm. Russiagate? And Alice, um, you can even add, how did you get the sort of broad, broadly now accepted idea in the UK that um, momentum was going to carry out political violence? Uh, yeah. on, was it always an inch away from carrying out mass political violence? Which is genuinely what a lot of people think. How are all of these nice, respectable feminists absolutely insane about trans people? Well, like this is this is why I I, I bring up and I put a lot of this in the notes because I couldn't help myself. Uh, an essay by uh, Richard Hofstadter is called "The Paranoid Style in American Politics," and it's I think what we're seeing here is absolutely a like the full throated just dive into the paranoid style. Mm-hmm. Paranoid style sounds like a dance craze from the fifties. So uh, <laughs> all the kids are out there doing the paranoid style. Uh, Alice, you have some some selections from the paranoid style. Uh, from oh, American I have politics. a cu- I have a couple I, of paranoid. Yeah, yeah, I would say uh, yeah, it's it might be a good time for you to share some of those now. Okay, well, let me hit you with this first one then. And like, I want you to think about the way uh, libs think about Putin, particularly just as an example. Where he's the one that this fits best. Horny and terrified at the same time. The enemy is a perfect model of malice, a kind of superman. Sinister, ubiquitous, powerful, cruel, sensual, luxury-loving. Unlike the rest of us, the enemy is not caught in history, a victim of his past, his desires, his limitations. He wills 
the, me the mechanism of history or tries to deflect the normal course of history in an evil way, he makes crises, starts runs on banks, causes depressions, manufactures disasters, and then enjoys and profits from the misery he's produced. The paranoid's interpretation of history is distinctly personal. Decisive events are not taken as part of the stream of history, but as the consequences of someone's will. And very often, the enemy is held to possess some especially effective source of power. He controls the press, he has unlimited funds, he has a new secret for influencing the mind, he has a special technique for seduction. So, I mean, there's your, there's your desinformatia right there, right? Mm. Yeah, there, it's the what. So this is this is fascinating because I I love that essay. I've, I've I read it for the first time probably six or seven years ago when I was trying to wrap my head around the Tea Party as a phenomenon mm -hmm. in the U.S. And because a lot of it was apt then too. Um, and there's like fields of discourse on Hofstadter and the paranoid style and how that was a particular reflection of his own kind of like well-heeled 1950s and 60s <laughs> liberalism and sure. like it is kind of his own kind of aesthetic revulsion for the Birchers and, and and those types but like there's there's something definitely there to the extent that like it's a lot easier to make up an enemy and have them be all powerful than to confront the things that are actually there so the for those of us who actually have paid attention to the like the kinds of ins and outs of the right wing, especially the extreme right wing over the last four years, like what happened at the Capitol was not hugely shocking to the extent that they said mm. they were going to do it. We knew that these people were around. We knew that there were militia types and white and white nationalists and that like they had managed to kind of wrap a a kind of a like a Napoleonic battering ram of QAnon idiots around themselves <laughs> and, were, and were like the, and, and that they were wanted to do something bad and had been planning on doing bad things for some time. And were looking for an opportunity to do it. So this was like, to those of us who actually watched the right, this was not surprising, but mm. that was a real threat. Whereas, you know, it, it was a lot easier to get freaked out about Putin and disinformation and hacking voting machines. Mm. than then to think like, Oh, we've got a homegrown terror problem, um, largely as a result of the fact that, like, <clears throat> we've sent hundreds of thousands of people off to, off to kill brown people for some time and have never kind of reckoned with the consequences of doing well, that's, that. That's exactly the point that I want to pick up on, which is like to me the common thread with this paranoia, right? Is this absolute militant hostility towards context, right? It has to remain this sort of, this personal thing that orange man bad, that Putin bad, that like the deep state are all, you know, barbecuing children and stuff. And mm. if you ask- You should you know, obviously well, ban Marie children. It produces a much better <laughs> texture. Like, if you ask a liberal, like, how and why did Trump get elected? How and why did Putin become president? Like, by being gay, first of all, with each other. <laughs> By being gay with each other. But, like, the hostility you'll be met with is, is very revealing to me. That, like, no, it has to be. It's entirely so generous. We can't have any kind of, like, historical role in this. It's just a bad guy who has arisen from, like, the steps or whatever. Again, just because mm. I want to sort of keep making the point that this is not simply an American phenomenon either. It's also okay. as British. Is that, again, if you remember the idea of um like all of jeremy corbyn's like, opposition to like you know expanding the eec or whatever that was taken context free to suggest that he was a deep cover brexiteer who was sabotaging the mm. labor party on behalf of you know same 
Yeah, and it's not like yeah. there's, there's, it's not like there's no agency for these people. Like, it's not to say that Trump or Putin isn't cruel or whatever. It's not to say that they don't exercise agency, but it's the idea that they do that as totally free agents arising out of nowhere. That's yeah. the paranoid style, and I think that's uh, immensely helpful for understanding why everybody's so fucking normal now. It's it's a dumbed down version of the great man theory of history, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that. The, you can just have somebody who uh, somebody or some small group that is comprehensible, right? Mm-hmm. Like that you can wrap your head around as and, and make and give those people all of the agency because then you never have to worry about things like structural patterns. You never have to worry about actual inequities of power or even like you know again not to say that like racism isn't bad and kind of a and kind of a, a, a whole thing but it's like there's a difference between understanding the material manifestations of racism and how those play out in um creating a whole series of structural inequities and saying like you know what you know what we need is a black poet like mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's like there's and it's why the debate over representation sometimes seems to ring so hollow and even as it's even as it's central to the kinds of politics mm. that we see coming out of this radicalized upper middle class center it's that like you're if you can just advance the representation then you never have to deal with where this comes from how we got there and the ways in which we're all implicated in it yeah Oh yeah, it's like the oh, it's like it, the Raytheon rainbow colored drone type shit, isn't it? It's like exactly, the, yeah, the yeah. aesthetics of a kind of like a left or socially progressive cause with none of the structural changes. What's- my, my favorite Atlantic headline coming out as transgender made me a more effective CIA officer. <laughs> Every time it kills me. <laughs> I, made me a master of disguise. Yeah, that that <laughs> like the transgender CIA officer kills me every time. Yeah. Um. So I think that there is. If you if you want to sort of draw in some connections between what we were talking about earlier, what to do with material conditions, and the fact that this is sort of so aesthetic and personalized, mm. I think you can you can look at this as as the sense of um uh, the sense of alienation of alienation from what you mm. thought was a very stable community mm. as as these this bifurcation. Yeah. All, all of my friends are Nazis just out of nowhere because yeah. I hadn't noticed anything previously that would lead me to believe that they were so th- they must have just become so overnight and so what what you have is you have this i get this split that i and i i believe as a historical materialist goes back to a bifurcation in a, a, a split between the interests of two different representations of capital um that has worked itself out uh again ideologically as a kinds of divided nations and these mm. divided nations require explanation and the easy explanation that doesn't involve a any kind of thinking about the role that not that not just different types of capital but capital in general played in this happening the easy alternative to that is slam poetry <laughs> slam poetry the easy alternative <laughs> to that is a highly personal and therefore highly narrative driven and paranoid style of politics and this, that has ended up with the construction of these um gigantic threats that are always lurking around every corner in this very enervated and anxious um, uh, uh, sort of politics. They keep getting more complicated is the other thing. And I, th- there's one other bit of Hofstadter that I wanted to like read into the record, as it were, because mm. it makes me think, like, Spunk I read this paragraph. Sluts. 
<laughs> I, I I read this paragraph again when I was preparing for this, and I just in my head reflexively, and I hated myself for doing this. Went, buckle up, it's time for some game theory. Buckle up, fuck nuggets. Yeah. And buckle up, fuck nuggets. A final characteristic of the paranoid style is related to the quality of its pedantry. It produces heroic strivings for evidence to prove that the unbelievable is the only thing that can be believed. Paranoid literature carefully and all but obsessively accumulates evidence. The difference between this evidence and that commonly employed by others is that it seems less a means of entering into normal political controversy than a means of warding off the profane intrusion of the secular political world. Mm. The paranoid seems to have little expectation of actually convincing a hostile world, but he can accumulate evidence in order to protect his cherished convictions from it. Yeah. You can build up evidence that Nate Bethay is actually a real estate agent yes. from Nebraska called Nate Bothay or whatever. You can. You can build up Jewish. a whole dossier of like bathroom sickos if you want. You can you can build up you can build up evidence for the deep state, you can build up evidence against like any number of these things. And uh, this is why, it, like, you get endless liberal Twitter threads that are like, "Okay, I learned six Russian words, and now I'm going to explain them back to you for an hour and a half." It kind of, it kind of goes back to this thing that I've felt for a long time. I think even before I was a leftist, which is that like words have just lost all meaning. Like people mm -hmm. just say any fucking shit now. Like you know, like you 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 critique like someone's centrist opinion, and they say you're an anti-Semite, and then you're like, well, why am I? I haven't said anything about Jewish people at all, and they're like, well, no, because that's like something an anti-Semite would say is that they're not. An and it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And it applies to like when you say you're not a Russian op, or like, well, when when was I paid by the Russian government? Like, why would the Russian government pay me to say this? People are like, well, it, you, your silence speaks volumes. It's like, the fuck are you people talking about, <laughs> Mr. Simpson? You're you know, it's, it's it's all rock bottom. It's yeah. all Godfrey Jones on rock bottom, where uh, it's it's a I, I, I touched her sweet can. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Simpson, your Mr. Simpson, your silence only incriminates you further, Mr. Simpson. <laughs> um, where it is, and and the thing is, it's it's the it doesn't matter if it's not true. It feels true to me, and yeah, the I and this is this Jeremy is, Corbyn gave me a heart attack. Yeah. like what, what the fuck are you talking about? And, and this is and Jeremy Corbyn gave me a heart attack. And I can get this many thousand words out of explaining how. <laughs> Not just yeah. like to make the claim, but to make the claim so pedantically yeah. and at such length. So uh, again, Patrick, I'd like to sort of um I'd like to sort of to throw back to you here as well this idea of, of again kind of really exploring how how because this is relatively recent, right? Like this the the paranoid, like radicalized upper middle class is something that really I feel like has kind of come out of 2015, maybe. What, what's what's your opinion on this? So I think it coincides with the liberal, Facebook. the liberal upper, the paranoid liberal upper middle class specifically. Yeah. So I, I think it's a product of the fact that they're now all on Facebook and they can see what the people they went to high school with, who are now God fearing Trump voters, um, are saying. And that it's that it's an opposition that, that I think the opposition that you talked about between the, the different kinds of gentry and the and the split within the, the, the PMC, like we're, mostly we're talking about older people. We're mm. talking about the vast majority of them, I would say, are people over the age of 50. There is a younger mm. person's manifestation of this for like the 36 year old uh, 
epic guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the the 36-year-old suburban wine mom has a different version of this particular kind of paranoia than the yeah. than the than the borderline boomer or gen xer yeah. like these are uh, people who like they might be able to open pdf but they certainly will not be rotating pdf yes that's a that's a good way of putting it yeah the, uh, and so like i think as these people have gotten more online like they're they're the right wing version of this was like chain emails in 2006, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. where they were kind of being ex- and and talk radio and they were kind of being exposed to this full bore. The liberal version of it, I think, has grown out of being exposed to ideas that they previously would have only encountered like at a like or overheard at like uh, like somebody's graduation party. Mm-hmm. Now they have to see it on Facebook. And so they, and it, and they feel this kind of sense of revulsion. And so they're building a new politics around it. Like, I know that that's true mm-hmm. for my mom. I mean, like I, like my mom fits this pretty neatly. Like, I don't think she's quite as kooky about like the Russiagate stuff, but like, if you asked her, she would definitely say that Putin had some involvement, you know? And like it, my, my question is, given that, as you say, we saw this with the right and those guys started off on chain emails and ended up on the capital HM. steps. Yeah. And the capital they, they steps. They ended up all as members what's, of the capital steps. Yeah, yeah they did. H from capital what, what's, steps. What's the media ecosystem going to look like driving in the opposite direction? Are we getting the fucking blogosphere back? Is Daily Coast oh, going to no. be a thing again? Because as an addendum to that question, am right, I going to have to open all of the gas taps in my house? <laughs> well, I mean, I think as an addendum to that question, how many question gas as taps well, do you have? Right. If you you can you can say that like <laughs> just collecting them. Bidenism and Starmerism are playing into the paranoid style. They're not refuting it they are certainly not taking away the things that undergird it right no Mm. but biden biden's first moves have already been like yeah we're doing the war on terror domestically this time Mm. everybody cheer for the fbi and it's like well yeah these people will first of all it's it's stuff like uh andy borowitz on facebook oh shoot me (laughs) yeah or um are you familiar with randy rainbow oh unfortunately i am god yes yeah, or Sarah Cooper. Yes. Like that's oh, yeah. the that's the future of uh, Sarah Cooper I think is like, this... what if I couldn't do the voice? G- googling, googling, dignitas, travel times. Yeah, <laughs> dignit.as. Yeah, it, it's like I, I think that there's it's stuff like that. The that it's going to be personalities who make them feel good about the aesthetic choices that they've made, mm. and so. You, they're, so they're going to be looking for a kind of a superficial diversity um, that reinforces the things that they already believe. And I think to the extent that like, I think they can get a lot of that from mainstream sources. Like I think the New York Times and the Washington Post will, will be perfectly happy to cater to this demographic and to conflate this demographic with America as a whole, as long mm-hmm. as they win. Right. Like as as long as they're winners, then nobody has to pretend that anybody else exists because these are the people with the money to buy the to buy the stuff in the first place. So like what you're saying is that SNL is going to have Kamala Harris's stepdaughter on as a guest host where she's going to like reveal that she's actually is dating that poet laureate and everyone's going to go fucking crazy. Step Uh, away from the lathe now. When the when the the poet girl and Lin Manuel Miranda got into a Twitter conversation about whether Lin Manuel Miranda had caught the Hamilton references in the poem, I was like, this is too heavy handed for day one of the Biden (laughs) press. Like I knew we were going to get some like really fucking painfully cringe lib shit, but like this is like no, come on, you've got to you've got to have something to build 
willed to. You can't fucking be no. blowing chips this big on day one. Oh, see, this, this is that's the lack of imagination. This is small scale. It's yeah. going to get so much worse. It's gonna, uh, they're they're going to put Lin-Manuel Miranda in a Marvel movie. Oh, there's going to be like hentai of J- Joe fucking Jill Biden, isn't there? This oh, mm-hmm. it's going to be so bad. If you if you yeah. thought that the veneration of the Trump family was bad, you have no, seen- I thought that was cool yeah, no, and yeah, very way, funny. I thought it was cool. It was cool. Yeah, it was cool for Baron. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> it, but or, or but like generally, like this, the, the Trump idea- saying that he doesn't agree with sharks, yeah. so he won't donate to the <laughs> save the sharks yeah. charity. That was awesome. Awesome. And they'll I be, think go- and they'll be here long after we're else. gone. Believe me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that. Uh. It's gonna be the, the the thing is right. I, I think what you're gonna what we're gonna see is that the they are everyone is desperate for a king to come and rescue them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And it's this doddering elderly racist. But, but it was it's always been a doddering elderly racist, you know. Yeah, it's, no, um, it's in the finest traditions yeah. of the country. Yeah. I'll give him that <laughs> much. Mm. The, but like, yeah, no, the the, the future is like uh, gender fluid F 35s yeah. uh, over Tehran, like, which is cool. So to bring it back, it's almost as though we're saying, yeah, it's like Roman Roman citizens drawing votive graffiti of like Sulla with a huge dick, being like, please take over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's the marching song that the graffiti of the marching song that Caesar's legionaries had, where they were like, oh yeah, our our general he just fucks everybody. He's just he just wants to fuck that Caesar. Yeah, it's like um. I think you could see this a little bit with the the kind of uh, like diamond Joe Biden persona that oh, he yeah. played on very effectively. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff like that, like kind of mild cults of personality around Democratic politicians, mm-hmm. because and, and which plays into the structural nature of the Democratic Party, too. Like if the Republican Party is very much built around these kind of institutions that and the conservative world is very much built around institutions in which politicians are kind of replaceable cogs, mm-hmm. but the institutions mm-hmm. continue. The Democratic Party is very personality based already that like you have Obama people and Clinton people and now you're getting Buttigieg people and like that it's very siloed in these in these mm-hmm. kind of personal networks. Um, and so there's a real neat overlap between the style of political fandom that mm-hmm. th- especially this upper middle class group has and mm-hmm. the way the Democratic Party is organized anyway. So I think it, I, I think it, that's just going to continue. That's the way they've been doing things for a couple of decades, and I don't see any reason to think that that's going to stop. Yeah. What's kind of curious to me is the extent to which that's happened across the aisle. And that, like, mm. I think the thing about institutions and cults of personality in the Republican Party certainly used to be true. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, that's true. I, I think, I, I think, I think Donald Trump Jr. of all people was the most perceptive about this mm. when he screamed at a mob of like retired dentists. Clock. from Fort Lauderdale to go and storm the Capitol saying, this is Donald Trump's Republican Party. Yeah. Like, it, they're, they're not getting that back. Uh, but I think mm. also it's worth suggesting that this is, I, I've been sort of making sure we're sort of in, in saying that this is a phenomenon that exists in Britain as well. Mm. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, if, if I, I would say the radicalization of the upper middle class in Britain has gone further. Um, yeah. And equally... I think it's also the the idea of that the radicalization is specifically to do with the party has not gone as far. So in the U.S., mm-hmm. this radicalization of the upper middle of the liberal upper middle class has been channeled very effectively through the Democratic Party. Yeah. In the case, we would have seen it yeah. if Bernie had won the nomination. Yeah. 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 In the case of of the U.K., I think there is and there is and to be fair, not since really 
flair. Mm. Really, I mean, Miliband. They yeah. they tried to do Millifandism, but it didn't really go anywhere. They sort of have people that they love, but they don't have people. Sorry, they have people that they hate, but they don't have people that they love. Yeah. The British centrist, like mm. they definitely hate Jiminy Crubbins, yeah. but they don't really love Starmer. Like Starmer is like fine. Like they yeah. they're kind of Starmer is still their guy, but like they don't. There's no fanfic about Starmer. There's no yeah. like. There's none of the Biden like oh the Daddy Biden coming to I mean, save the, us. The most you get is the idea that. He is sort of miles and miles smarter than Boris Johnson, and his yeah. performance in PMQs yeah. is going like, to forensic. In, the, in, unless you're Andrew Adonis, yeah. who's oh, still God. God. the for guy Blair. is a Renfield. A guy called Adonis who just jacks off about Tony Blair all the time is like too close to the line. This is actually though how like the British psychosis is so different from the American psychosis, and I've yeah. been thinking about this a lot. Is that like that is like Britain is like it's something more absurd. Like yeah, there's this guy who's called Adonis for some reason who just wants to fuck <laughs> Tony Blair, and like no, and he tweets about Tony Blair every single day and he's one of the most highly paid people in British politics but then like because British people don't love politics like British people hate politicians like in general like you don't really get the like I remember just seeing yesterday one of the things that sent me the most was the Kamala Harris tweeting ready to serve and that just being the tweet Mm -hmm. and like you can't imagine a British politician tweeting that because like you don't fucking serve you get paid a lot of money to be in charge that's not serving it's like the opposite nobody nobody thinks it's cool to be prime minister army fuck off (laughs) so I and I mean, this is in terms of in terms of our subject matter. I think it means that the the radical the radicalism of the British upper middle class is well less predictable. Mm. I think is constrained by the fact that it is a very comfortable radicalism that is driven by paranoia yeah. rather than desperation. So yeah, what it yeah, means yeah. is that they're going to spend more and more time online finding more and more evidence of the things <laughs> that from yeah. sickos. It's yeah. a fantastic time to be trans. Yeah. 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 So- I have a I have a take on this, and this is going to sound this is going to sound kind of basic, but but bear with me for a minute. I think it has to do with the difference between winning and losing. Mm. If you win, you don't have to be as paranoid about this stuff. Like if you feel like you're winning, if you feel like you're in the ascendancy, then you'll find other shit to worry about. But if you're fucking losing all the time. Mm-hmm. If you're if you do not feel like you're if you feel like there's a gap between the way the world is going and the way it should go, which is obviously the way you want it to go, like then, yeah, you start a podcast (laughs) or you get really or you get really worked up about trans stuff because that's it's like a way of exerting control. You know what I mean? Or like the Mm. Russiagate stuff when people when libs were getting real mad about that and were looking for a a, like a kind of a magic Mueller solution to it. It's like Mm. that was just. It was a way of exerting control over over circumstances that were clearly beyond their control. I think, including That's- starting podcasts like yeah. Mueller. She wrote. Yeah. Which I is cannot fucking oh, no, believe no, that no, no, you're fucking kidding I me. Think it's really? actually one of the one one of the yeah. hosts of Mueller. She wrote got a full sleeve tattoo of Robert Mueller. Yeah. Oh. And then after 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 the Mueller investigation concluded with nothing, the New York Times interviewed her and she said she had had to talk a lot of people off the ledge. Okay, I'm sorry. I am fucking sorry. But if you're starting a podcast about Robert Mueller, how are you reaching for the awkward pun of Mueller she wrote when it could have been the Mueller corner? How are you? <laughs> that's only a that's only a European thing, Milo. I'm yeah, well, they should have learned about it. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so Patrick, I think that's right. And then I think then. If that's right, then that does have a slight Im- uh, a slight implication for things going forward, which is that the the liberal like the 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 radicalized liberals of the last several years are, are you saying that because there has been this victory, they may at least temporarily retreat from the paranoid style and get more normal until into they the lose smug again. style yeah, into mm. the smug style until they lose again. 
Yeah, I think that I think that's basically how it's going to go. That like when you are, I think you could see this a lot from the from kind of the gentry class in in Trumpism too. That like because they had won, they were very concerned with their position and and, and like and and consolidating their position. And I think there's, but at this point, there's no question that these people are running the show, at least in terms of kind of setting the tone for what the democratic party is going to do. So like you can do, um, you can fix immigration because that's going to make you feel good about there not being brown kids in cages anymore. Mm. And now we, maybe we don't need to worry about Russia as much. Maybe we don't need to worry about disinformation as much because all is as it should be. Like now, if they lose, if they lose the midterms in 2022, and God forbid they lose the presidency in 2024, then I could, I think you could see them go down a series of super fucked up rabbit holes. Like, especially if it's somebody that they really hate who wins it. Like if Ted Cruz becomes president in 2024, yeah. I think you're going to see an absolute freak out. And he's a charisma powerhouse, so he could do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You see Everyone him with loves, that butt account? Everyone loves have to look seen, at him and hear him. Listen, <laughs> have you seen the polls for the next Republican primary? Because if you haven't, I highly recommend it, because you'll have a great time thinking about how, like, uh, Donald Trump is, like, the only... He's the kingmaker yeah. now. If he decides he doesn't want to run again or start a new party or something else, all of these other guys... Uh, you know, Cruz, Hawley, whoever, everybody who like either debased themselves for him or like to him, sub one percent. Well, and it fucking rocks. <laughs> they deserve every bit of it. <laughs> it's a hundred percent gonna be uh, Lauren Boebert's husband's dick tattoo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, is- and, and you just know that when it happens, libs are gonna be like. Man, President Trump would never have done this because he had more dignity than that. I, I miss him. If there's if there's a little bit of a, of a sum up here as well, right? One of the reasons I th- I think that the the paranoid style has been that we've been talking about this kind of radicalization towards nothing but anxiety, not towards mm-hmm. any action, has been sort of so popular among the um among the different fraction factions of the professional managerial class mm-hmm. is that the professional managerial class is not a protagonist or an antagonist of history. It is not. Mm, no. It is not the working class. It is not capital. It is basically just fretting about the fact that it is entirely superfluous to history, and so you know plays around in the ideological garbage can, so to speak. But mm. it's sort of <laughs> existing in nothing but the castoffs of actual yeah, I, historical processes. I kind of I have a slight refinement to that, which is that like it's not that it it, it does no sort of operative work this this paranoid style it's that the work that it does is sort of futile and self-defeating and that's how you get the long russia gate threads or conversely you get that other great show of effort storming the fucking capital of the united states and then waiting for a cutscene. <laughs> <laughs> indeed and it's and, and, and it's why like the turns out you left one cop alive back in like a previous room you have to go back and um, and I think again, it's 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 why at the same time, like there is that that the all of these sort of um, if you like, uh, you know, say ideological sort of upper middle class sort of efforts around Brexit sort of came mm. to very little. You know, it is it is it is engaging with self soothing rather than engaging with yeah, what's it's a going fidget on. Cube. Yes, it is. Mm. It is a very dangerous fidget spinner. That is uh, trying to get people fired uh, for yeah. tweets. The fidget spinner invented by Vladimir Putin. That's right. So there we go. We understand how it all joins yes. together. <laughs> there's, there's a thing here that I, I, I think is worth bearing in mind that 
It has to do with the relative physical and social isolation of the upper middle class from anybody else. That like, if you live in, if you are a member of this upper middle class, you can exist without ever interacting with anybody who is not a service worker or, or a member of this class yourself. Like it's a, it's a peer group, like a, a social peer group. Whereas if you're a member of the working class, you're aware that there are people above you, right? If you're mm. a, if you're a, um, if you're an owner, you're aware that there are people below you, mm-hmm. right? And, but in the uh, but for the upper middle class, like you can exist in pretty much a world that is purely made up of other upper middle class people, and which which creates this really powerful bubble effect and leads you to believe that there are a lot more of you than there are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you have like, clients, you don't have employees or owners. Exactly. You have you have partners. You have um, you you have you have coworkers. You don't. It's a much less kind of nakedly hierarchical world, mm. um, but it's also kind of limited in its in its extent, right? So, like, yeah. you can simultaneously feel like the feel totally secure and also feel like it's it's inexplicable that the world is not going the way that you want it to because you're never exposed to anything that's not. So, like that. Yeah, I, I, if that makes any sort yeah, of, of sense, it, I think that's, I think I think what what this what this really is getting at is um, sort of different ways of describing the same process mm. of dislocation, alienation, and enervation. Yeah, and that has and that has produced what again is I think a relatively politically unreachable um, uh, coterie mm. of extremely reactionary sixty-year-olds. Who just happened to channel that reaction into voting for um, Starmer or Johnson or um, uh, Trump or Biden uh, because they see, that's well, also Joe how they Swinson, see baby. that's also how they see politics <laughs> as like yeah. just as just the exercise of a vote and and so yeah. on and so on. But that is the sort of the limits of the political possibility, and it's extraordinarily reactionary just because it is sort of so so sort of. Um, a, a creature of ideology. Yeah, yeah. A- alienation, not just for the proletariat <laughs> anymore. <laughs> no, I, I think well, it's, it's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, what well, what Patrick was saying about the sort of the flat hierarchies of the upper middle class is very perceptive, and that as we know, mums exist in a net, not a pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's called mums net because it is a sort of uh, a conglomeration of equals. It's a conglomeration <laughs> like, of many. Pyramid shaped yeah. schemes. Like there might be a chief <laughs> mum, like a like a uh, glinner, but he is simply a kind of princeps off the mum's net. He's not above them. Uh, he is simply there to kind of be an organizing force. So, uh, Patrick, please go ahead. Uh, I can't. I got lost in the in the hierarchies of mum's net. Um, yeah, cause, to the extent that there <laughs> no, there's are there's an academic of- article for you. Lost in the hierarchies <laughs> of mum's net. Yeah, I mean, it, that's it's funny that the. It is a it is a real kind of flat world. It's not the, and it, it it speaks its own kind of language of hierarchy and status, and it has its own um, it has its own kinds of signifiers. And that's why, like, I want to write an article on this or like an essay on this, and I want to call it the Labradoodle class because <laughs> I think that's the perfect kind of thing where like you don't buy a hundred thousand dollar RV, you buy a five thousand dollar dog. Mm-hmm. And that like this signals that you're that that first you of all you want to you call it you call it Jessica or uh, or, or Luther or Walter yeah. or and your yeah. wife's called Mufti. Yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, Patrick, I don't know if you know this, but there's a stereotype that up uh, uh, upper middle class British people name their name their name their dogs like normal human uh, girls names and then name their daughters dogs names. 
Yeah. I have not okay. heard this oh, theory. The amount but of I, like I, women you meet who live in Kensington who are called like Tiffin or something is or, like or Muffy. Yeah, Muffy. Yeah. 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 To- toodly uh, boodly or whatever. Yeah. Like it's fucking <laughs> it's so real. Yeah, so a girl a girl called Muffy will be like walking a dog called like, I don't know, Cheryl. Sarah. Yeah, yeah. 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 She's called Muffy and she is like sixteen fifteenths Habsburg. Like <laughs> Sorry, um, <laughs> uh, you were saying of, of, about the Labradoodle, Patrick. Yes. So I, I just think like for people in the upper middle class, they know how to read these signs, right? Mm. And they're they're very like ensconced in this world. And, and it's a highly aesthetic one without realizing that it's aesthetic. And it's highly ideological without realizing it's ideological. Mm. And, they got so into Joe Biden bringing dogs back yeah. to the White House. Yeah, they get but so that, into I, the queen wearing different kinds of brooches to say what she really, to send secret messages yeah. to like the people who read the right kinds of newspaper, what she really thinks about Brexit. Ah, uh, yes. The reason why the queen is wearing this ancient Hindu symbol brooch is because she's wearing the ancient Hindu symbol to honor her uncle. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus. Uh, that's yeah. I, I think there's a lot of that where like the the ideological without realizing that it's ideological, just like thinking that this is the way the world works and has to work and the only way it can work, and that anything. Any idea other than that is a deviation that has to be fought back. Um, like that's the that's at the core of this, and that's why it's reactionary and conservative at heart. Like that's the um, but cannot come to grips with the idea of itself as being conservative. Mm. Like it has to see itself as progressive, as moving towards something better, without the without like wrapping its head around the idea that you that really you're fighting to maintain what is. Mm. I think, that's, I think that's very that's that's very perceptive, and I think that's a nice bow to tie around this entire conversation. Mm. In fact, um, mm. in, sorry, Kessrum Kensio Softbank Delenda. <laughs> um, right. So I want to say number one, uh, Patrick. It is always a huge delight to have you on the podcast, and I urge everybody to listen to Tides of History to subscribe uh, also to your to your to your various mm. Substacks because you're on Discontents, but you also have your own. Yes, I have my own. It's called Perspectives. Uh, I kind of alternate between writing um, essays that are way too long about things like bro culture and gentry mm. uh, and uh, talking about like uh, pyramids and mounds and temples in the prehistoric Americas. It's a it's a real grab bag. And nice. I would say many, many there have been there have been many times where sort of things that we talk about on this podcast originate as essays on perspectives. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, please do check it out. I now want to pitch you one called Substacked with Patrick Wyman, where you talk about really big guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> where we finally learn uh, what your pre-workout routine is. <laughs> uh, I, it's a lot of mobility work. I uh, I take care of my joints. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and responsible lifting. That's what we're about on this show. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And uh, and also like I like I mentioned also. In addition to the Substacks, there's also Tides of History, which you also must listen to. It's a must listen. Mm-hmm. Is it T- you must. It's the Trash Future Lock of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> the Lock of the Week is actually the lock that should have been on Jeffrey Epstein's diary. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's too bad. All that Huge oversight. There were so many consequences yeah. for the people who were in it. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> like one academic, like sort of lost his do-nothing yeah. job. Jesus Andrew Christ. Neil will never work again. Uh, we got to talk right. about GB News as well. Yeah. Um. Anyway, and, and look, there's this. This certainly also isn't the limits of this conversation, right? There is a whole universe of of 
uh, observations around how people define themselves through media consumption mm. and you know your media in if you're a part of the good pmc your media consumption has to be this yeah, and yeah, so yeah. this is by far the end of this conversation i think this is just yeah. an interesting op- couple of opening salvos there's a whole universe yeah, this, is, this is the problem when when we have you on patrick is we end up being like so interested that we run for five and a half hours, and it's like, no, this is the this is the podcast where I don't do that. There's a, there's a whole well, universe of trash feature episodes that Patrick Wyman is about to be on. <laughs> I, I, I can't thank you guys enough for having me. I love chatting with y'all. This is like this is like my favorite thing. I love getting to do this. Anytime y'all want me, I'm here. We Fantastic. love it. Oh, pleasure. Dude. Well, um, please please do come on. Well, there's your problem sometime yes. soon. That must also happen. Uh, <laughs> well, there's your problem. Like, what happened to the Coliseum? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, got old. Yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. got old. That's yeah. what happened. Um, so, uh, in, in in other news, don't forget, uh, this is a free episode. There is a bonus episode. It will come out in a couple of days and will consist of us talking to Seamus Malakafzeli about uh, Saudi Arabia's Giga projects, including uh, them doing a great big line of city off the desert. Yeah, that's uh, cool. Which is awesome. <laughs> Doing a cocaine-ass project in the shape of a line of cocaine is dope. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the line, finally real. Yeah. Uh, it's too bad that you uh, that you didn't save that for the episode, but hey, that's just a taste of what you'll be getting. Yeah. That's just those are the kind of those are the kind of bonus jokes I make. Um, all right. So I think with uh, with all that in the can, I think we'll mm. we'll say see you on the bonus episode. Cheers. Cheers.